0: Acts chapter 1, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who began, became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. And all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that field was in their own language. keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must... Become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas. Who was also called Justice. And Matthias. And they prayed and said. You Lord know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two. You have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to us. And may he help us with the preaching. Let's pray. O oh, Heavenly Father, we do ask now that your word, which is true, would be open to us. We pray that it would be open and by your Holy Spirit that inspired it, applied, illumined in our heart and life and mind. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would be more and more conformed to the image of Christ our Lord as we listen and follow his word written. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mr. Rankin, are you over 80? Inquired my hairstylist at Great Clips. Not yet, I said, but I'm getting there as fast as I can. Well, it's good to be back in Houston. And I hope to stay and help as long as I can. Uh, This evening we come to Acts chapter 1, to a passage which sometimes is viewed with great vexation. and, And in our own time and date and place, in our national calendar, I could not help, I could not resist the sermon title. I'm not real big on sermon titles, but you know, apostolic election or insurrection seemed very timely. And... Some people try to take this passage and say, oh my goodness, the apostles before the Holy Spirit came, they had no right. They chose this Matthias fellow. And God, once the Holy Spirit came, he was going to choose Paul. You know, Saul, who became Paul, that was the one who was to become the next apostle. Or... Is that really what the Word of God says? Let's look at it together. The apostles are foundational to the church. And as we approach this passage, we need to remember that and we see it here as well. What were they? They were witnesses to Christ's life. And verses 21 and 22 make that very clear. Peter stands up after 40 days and 40 nights of good theological training by the best seminary professor of all times, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who shared with him and the other apostles that were left how the scriptures pointed to him and how he was the fulfillment of them all, that it had been there all the time, and they, because of the plan of God, had not yet seen and grasped what was there all along. And after prayer and seeking God's face, they turn to the scriptures. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to this day, he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. You see from John's baptism of Christ, that is the beginning of his public ministry, And that it would therefore include all of his preaching and his teaching and his miracles. These had been witnessed by the apostles. That early phase of their education, they were seeing but not really seeing. They were understanding but not fully understanding. They were in elementary school. They had not yet come to promotion into higher education. That had to wait resurrection light But their testimony of what they had seen in their earlier years, that testimony had to be there and it had to be firm and clear that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that He is the Messiah and Savior of the world. They were witnesses to Christ's life. And according to verse 22, they were witnesses of His resurrection. Christ's resurrection is the light in which everything can be seen and should be seen. Everything in his life is illuminated retrospectively by his resurrection. They could, in resurrection light, understand what he had meant all along when he said, in three days I will rebuild this temple. It wasn't a statement about demolition and reconstruction of a building. It wasn't civil engineering that he was promising. It was the fulfillment of God's covenant promise all through his life. He was the one that would accomplish this great work. And on the day of resurrection, the capstone would shine and hold it all together. They had heard him say the words, the son of man is lord of the sabbath and so that crucial part that crucial part of the religious life of israel that almost sacramental regular rhythmic activity of the people under the mosaic covenant and even into the davidic and even down to this day is it not true in the new covenant His lordship was the foundation of this. His divinity. And where did that shine? We get a glimpse of it with the angels. Singing Gloria in Excelsis. We get another sustained shock or flash of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But we see it in the resurrection. And in the ascension of the one resurrected In glory to the very throne of God. enthroned and in session there now. He is king and Lord of all. His whole life makes sense in that light. And now we know. Now we can fully grasp what was meant when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, everything changes by illumination. Can I ask someone to bring me some water, please? Thank you, brother. Everything changes because his resurrection illumines the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's no wonder that the Gospels were not written until after the resurrection. The Gospels were not written along and along. They were not written before. They were written after in resurrection life light. And it's no wonder that we, each and every week, celebrate the great and glorious day of his resurrection. That's what you're doing right now. Even as you worship God by night, you are worshiping him by night on the day in which his resurrection light shone. And everything in our lives... Is illumined by his resurrection light as well. When we face suffering. When you face suffering. There is Christ. In power and glory. And he is our hope. And he is our strength. When you face tragedy. And it's like a knife cuts you to the core. When it feels like your life is over, it would be easier if it were over. You are sustained by the everlasting arms, by the one whose face is resurrected and your hope forever. And when you face death, and when you feel, when you feel the cool breeze fall upon your face, There is Jesus your Lord. He never abandons you. He never forsakes you. He sees you safely through. You cross over to the other side. Accompanied. Always. By him. With him. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Even his angels. His messengers. Are given charge of you. To usher you into his presence. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, and in light of that fact, nothing is the same, nothing ever again. This witness is so important, what the apostles must speak to. No one can be an apostle without being able to make that testimony publicly clear to the people of Israel. It's foundational to the whole life of the church. It's the basis of all future evangelism, all future missions and effort worldwide. These qualifications serve a gospel purpose. The gospel purpose of the Lordship of Christ. These qualifications precede the selection of the apostles in their narrow role as apostles for all the church because their role is so foundational to the whole of the church. And the word written governs the office of apostle. Now we usually don't think about that fact, but it's true. The scripture is not out of accord with God's calling to the apostles. It's not in conflict with it. But it is also constitutive of it. It is in perfect harmony and is directive of them. Peter here is doing the right thing. The apostles should never go against the scripture. They should follow it, heart and soul in mind and life. You see, looking back, we can see that the scripture was fulfilled by the apostles. In verse 16, we hear the speech. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. It wasn't enough to grind their teeth and to furrow their brows and to say, that no good fellow, that one that we let have the money bag, you know, I bet he was stealing from it. What a horrible man, the son of perdition. May God damn him to hell forever. As right as they might have been about some of those details, speaking those in frustration and anger was not in keeping with the office of apostle. (laughs) The basis of it is not in human emotion or in the reaction of fallen men. The basis of anything they would say or teach or preach or that we might declare publicly about the son of perdition must come from the scriptures. Our thinking must be in conformity to the mind of Christ. And he has revealed that by his Holy Spirit in the sacred word. That's how we know about Judas. That's how we know about to think of what we know to think of him. Peter reasons from the Bible. And in so doing, he was accomplishing exactly what Jesus had commanded him and the apostles to do. Earlier in verse 3 of this chapter, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And what was he busy saying? Well, back in Luke chapter 24 and in verse 27, We hear, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In God's eternal plan, all along it had been appointed for the Son of God to be resurrected in power and glory. And then for him to hold a Christology class. To open the pages of scripture and to show them there where he was revealed of old, and all of the things which he must do for their salvation, they were now able to reason why he had to go un- undergo persecution from the Pharisees and Sadducees, why he had to be rejected rather than worshiped by the Romans, why he had to go into the desert and face the devil, why he had to be born of a virgin, why he had not to have a father physically of the of the line and lineage of David, even though it was legally and properly so. He faced the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that all fallen men and women face. He faced the arrows even as we do. But yet, they found no hook in him because his person is divine. He is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And so inwardly and outwardly, he is in perfect conformity to the will and word of his heavenly father. Oh, the scripture reveals him. It's all about him. He is the great mediator and keeper of the covenant of grace. From the day of the fall and the cursing of our first father, from that point forward, we know, that the seed of the woman would come and would triumph over Satan and would bring salvation to his people. Looking back, the scripture was believed and was followed by the apostles. And looking forward, the scripture must be fulfilled again on this occasion by the apostles. So Peter reads his Old Testament, and he reads it in light of the important truths, In verses 20 and 21, which we've read twice now, quoting from the Old Testament book of Psalms, quoting from Psalm 109, the scriptures speak of Jesus and must be interpreted in light of him. It's not that we pull this chapter out and cut off any relationship to the covenant of grace and cut off any relationship, therefore, to Jesus. And we just interpret these words about the life of David or some later king That would be not to follow the exegetical agenda of our Lord and Savior in his resurrection light. We are to see him in that text and we are to follow that, trace it carefully. Peter reads his Old Testament in that light and he sees that in that messianic, And imprecatory psalm, both at the same time, the sweet and the sour, the delightful and the bitter, mixed together in Psalm 109, refer to Jesus Christ our Lord in contrast with the traitor. It's about Jesus on the one hand and the traitor on the other who would betray him. And the traitor had to die. It's not just a suicide that he did. God said it would be so. God had decreed it of old. It was a part of the unfolding covenant of grace, just as much as the outpouring of the waters of heaven and the drowning of all of the nations of the earth on the face of the globe, except the blessed handful in the ark that were protected and saved, not because they were so good, but in spite of themselves. God decreed, God revealed, and so it is accomplished. The traitor must die, and the traitor must be replaced. The traitor dies, but not by the hand of another. The traitor dies in the most shameful way possible. What should he have done? He heard all the sermons. He heard all the parables. He heard all the truth of the living God spoken with human lips, revealed with a human heart. He of all persons on the face of the earth should have fallen on his knees and repented. The son of man held out forgiveness to him. Salvation to him. And he rejected it. As the foundational apostles witness to the life and resurrection of Christ, their minds, their hearts, their actions were bound by the word of God. In other words, even the apostles, especially the apostles, must follow it. They must keep the word. And I would argue with you, this evening, that that means that you and I must do the same. In our church's order and function, should we not also keep to the word? Some think that church government is a matter of taste or fashion or convenience. You know, brothers and sisters, we live in a day and an age of the image and the video. our churches are nice but they really aren't nice enough for prime time tv now are they how many movies set in a presbyterian worship meeting place we call them sanctuaries but you know the old word is a meeting house it's where the church meets the church is the the church meeting there not alone with christ Looking, loving, worshiping the Lord. That's our focus. And you know it doesn't go on videotape very nicely. The digital age is even worse. There are other Christian denominations that the looks and the smells and the bells, the lights and the gold and the twinkle and the show are much more attractive to the secular media mind. But we must follow Christ. Many of these others believe that they can organize themselves as they see fit. On one extreme, some say, well, let's have a town hall meeting. Let's get together, do what Oprah does. That's part of our culture. We can pass the mic around. We can all say our piece. You know, I want to hear what so-and-so thinks about this or that. descend into the third level of hell sometimes. Have you been in those before? I have. Or others will grab the microphone and they say, let me make the decision. I know best. That's not what the Bible teaches. Or it sounds so much more deferential. Let him decide. Let's give him a pointy hat. Let's give him gold around his neck. Let's give him a ring that we can all kiss. We'll let him introduce himself as God's representative on earth and we'll all bow down. We'll give money. We'll build world class worship centers then, and people will fly from around the globe to come and to adore. He's so wise. He's so holy. He's so special. Let's build our church around that and our government. Our government will be on his shoulders. I think that's why in the Reformation they called that kind of thing a little bit antichrist. But the apostles show us it's much more than taste. It's much more than a show. It's much more than traditions of men. It's a matter of taking the Bible seriously because we take the God of the Bible seriously. It's very simple. This is not that hard. And whatever the Bible teaches with regard to church order, we ought to follow. If there are certain offices, we must stick to them. If there are certain qualifications for these offices, then we must follow them. If there's certain duties for these offices, then we must insist that they do what they're supposed to do. You don't want your auto mechanic to say, you know, I really want to do brain surgery today. I saw a movie. I think it's fascinating. I think I'd like to try my hand on it. Will you let me do that on you? No. Follow the word. The Bible is our only rule of faith and practice. The church is not our only rule of faith and practice. The word is our only rule of faith and practice. It is where God tells us what to believe. It is where God tells us what to teach. It is where God tells us what to preach. I've heard criticism of preaching before. And my response has had to be, Well, you know, that's a nice thing you would like him to have preached on. But, you know, he preached on a text. What does the text say? He preached on a scripture. What does the scripture say? Here is where God tells us what to do, how to be structured, how to function. The Bible also binds our conscience. It binds your conscience. It binds my conscience. And we can say with Luther, here we stand, we can do no other. The whole of the scriptures is about Christ and his church. The scriptures tell of the, tell the apostles what to do, and the scriptures tell us what to do as a body of believers too. And thirdly, the word incarnate chose the apostles. You see Christ chose the 12. We can look at Luke chapter 6. And there we can see the choosing of the apostles. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer. Luke 6:12. And when the day came he called his disciples and He chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we have twelve disciples who become known as the Twelve Apostles. Christ also chooses the replacement for the traitor. Back in our text, we see in verses 24 and 25 and 26 a process being used which is in submission to the triune God. This is before The spigots had been opened at Pentecost. That's chapter 2. But at this point, they're 11 rather than 12. And in the light of all that Christ has taught them, they can see in Psalm 109 that someone must take his place. And they see and recognize the foundational witness that they as the 12 apostles must have to the 12 tribes of Israel. It's not just that 12 is an arbitrary number, but it's also not that 12 is a magical number. It's that the 12 tribes of Israel always were going to need 12 12 apostles in order to bear witness to them. God's people were in a special relationship to him, a special covenantal relationship. They underwent the burdens of the Old Testament law, for example, the Mosaic conditions. They didn't get to eat bacon. They didn't get to have shrimp. They had very tight limits on where they were supposed to live and how they were supposed to conduct even their economy. They had a mission from God. And for all of that suffering and all that limitation and all that irritation, you know, they didn't get to mix even the fibers in their clothing. They got to scratch during the winter. With all of that, God blessed them. Not with one apostle. But with this many plus two more, I don't have enough fingers. They got 12 apostles. A witness of complete blessing from God to his covenant people. And then there was another. Not the 12th apostle. Apostle. There was the apostle to the Gentiles. They got 12, the children of Israel. And the Gentiles and the diaspora, we got one. But boy, he was a doozy, wasn't he? We got one. It's amazing. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and would bring to their remembrance what he said. And he would come, and he would disclose to them the future through the Holy Spirit. And everything else that was needed for truth. And Paul wrote the vast bulk of that everything else, deposited forevermore in the life of the church in the the New Testament canon. What a blessing to the whole face of the earth. Jew and Gentile he has been, but he was sent to the Gentiles. And so he is, in that sense, our apostle. But number 12 was for the people of Israel. And so they follow the right process for the moment, the day, the time in which they lived. It was not yet time for the church to debate and vote in itself. They didn't have an overflowing abundance of guidance of the Holy Spirit Yet. But they had basic instruction. And the text, following this right on from the seminary class of Jesus, you wonder whether this is not also being implied that it was a direct command from our Lord. It's an indirect command through his inspired scripture. This is not an apostolic insurrection overthrowing the legitimate government of Jesus. This is a keeping to his revealed and legitimate government. And so they choose a replacement. It's the 11 plus Matthias chosen by Lot, which God had used for a thousand years to guide his people. And from a slate Chosen according to the basic qualifications of what an apostle must be. What all the rest had in common. They had been with Jesus through thick and thin. They had seen his ministry. And they had seen his resurrection. And Matthias had too. To throw out Matthias. To steal Paul from the Gentiles. That would be the ecclesial insurrection, I submit to you. Christ chooses the replacement in this process. He inspires the qualifications. He gives gifts to men and providential opportunity to witness, see, and hear so they can bear witness as apostles. And he does the choosing. He does the choosing as his people follow his word written. if you will let me quote from a modern song, it's Christian and Trinitarian. Brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves of this in our contemporary era. The time and place, the year, almost the day in which we live, we need to pinch ourselves and remember, truth doesn't come from the barrel of a gun. It comes from the Father and it comes from the Son. And it comes by the one who can give the most. They call him the Holy Ghost. And I could go on. We need to bow before King Jesus. We need to follow his word. Whatever argument you're going to make upon the replacement for Judah... Judas, you need to make sure it is grounded in the scriptures and can deal and answer the apostle Peter. Fresh from Christology and ecclesiology class at the feet of Jesus resurrected and glorified. And I dare you to overthrow it. And the application to us today is very clear. We have elders and deacons. And we have them because the Bible teaches that those are the continuing offices. How many of us has witnessed Jesus' resurrection? Were you there for his baptism? Did you see all the rest? Then I'm sorry, we can't name you an apostle. They're foundational to the life of the church. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. And so we can't choose elders and deacons that suit ourselves you will vote you have nominated but frankly the choice is not ultimately your own the choice is is only truly the choice of the king of kings and lord of lords the king and head of the church and therefore you can't choose a man just because you like him and you can't choose a man because he has money and you can't choose a man because of internal politics and dynamics, that would be an insurrection against King Jesus and his rule. But you can get in line with Jesus. You can submit your mind to his. You can make choices based upon his word. And upon his gifting. You can put on the spectacles of the word and you can see who he has provided right in front of you, just like the apostles did. And he loves his church and he always provides what we need. Has he ever left you without gospel hope? You see, in these matters, the lordship of Christ is at stake. For a congregation to turn in any other direction but the one in which Christ points is a spiritual mutiny from which we have no right to expect blessing or benefit in our midst together. We must follow him because he is the Lord of resurrection glory and our life. He's our leader, and we are but his humble disciples, and we must follow him. And so remember, the apostles are foundational to the life of the church by the glory and goodness of God, and we live together in light of the gospel that they witness by their testimony together to us. And the word written governs the office of apostle, and therefore it governs every office under it. The word governs the continuing offices of elder and deacon and congregational life. They, that is, the principles of the word, and we, seeking to follow them as best we can, must have his priorities, do his will. We must not do what is right in our own eyes. You know what that brings every time. You follow him. And the word incarnate, the word incarnate, Jesus Christ our Lord, he is the one who chooses the foundation. We don't get to deconstruct and reconstruct it as it suits our taste. As we follow him, faithfully, listening to his spoken qualifications for office in his church, recognizing his divine gifting. Then in our congregation too, Christ will choose elders and deacons in our midst. If he did it with the greater, certainly he will do it with the lesser for his covenant people. But, you know, I don't like ending on a negative note, but hear me. I mean this in love for your souls. But, Turn and listen to other voices. Turn and follow other priorities than what is here. And we will leave his blessings and benefits behind. Sitting as it were on the banqueting table, uneaten and untouched. We must remember what the Father said of him, whose word and will we must follow. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Let us pray.